Good evening. Good evening. We have just hit seven o'clock here in Whistler, British Columbia. And tonight I've got a few stories to tell. And I hope you'll join us on what is my fourth podcast on this Colin app. So for those that don't know too much about Colin, it's a really neat new app where you can become your own radio station. And that means that uh, when I'm having a podcast, you can ask questions, you can call in, pun intended, uh, we can interact and be social. And, and, it, it's, and then we can save the podcast and then we can share it on all sorts of platforms. And it's just a really neat tool for post editing, for posting and uh, for interacting. Uh, personally, it's a, a new adventure for me, uh, this podcast world. But uh, I'm really enjoying it because uh, you connect with people with language. And uh, I'm one that's used to connecting with people with images and videos. So that's really neat. Um, hello, Gustavo. Uh, I hope you'll uh, be chatting with me a little bit today. Uh, Gustavo is a gentleman that uh, has probably, I'm not sure how long he's followed us on our adventures. We'll have to ask him. But uh, really neat to, to connect with people that are coming over from Instagram. So thank you for joining me tonight, Gustavo. Um, if anybody, when, when anybody would like to chat or talk, basically, um, you go into the caller queue and then uh, and I accept you as a caller. And then you press the unmute button. And that's how uh, you're able to, to begin chatting. So I won't continue on too much about this, but to tell you a little bit about tonight's episode... Um, we're talking all about bears, and I've had plenty of encounters with Ursus, uh, black bears, polar bears, um, grizzly bears, and I've got a story for each of them, uh, as well as a bunch of interesting stuff that uh, I'd like to tell you about them. So we'll begin with the strongest of them all, which is the polar bear. And, uh, and you might wonder, well, where in the world did Roberto go see a polar bear? And so a few years ago, my, my lady and I got sponsored to go up to Churchill, Manitoba by the tourism board in order to get on these giant tundra buggies and get quite up close to polar bears. And uh, for those uh, that, that don't know, uh, Churchill, Manitoba in Canada is one of the polar bear capitals uh, of the world. And in order to get there, uh, you have to train up or fly up. Uh, you can't drive all the way there. So, so that's a really neat, uh, neat aspect uh, about Churchill. Or did I? Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty sure about that fact. Anyways, um, so we got invited to go up and um, we, we get on these giant, giant buggies with 20 foot tires um, and you go out on the tundra and, and there's polar bears. I think in our first evening, uh, we saw four or five. So one of the ways to go see them up here is that you can either do a day trip on these tundra buggies and, and see the polar bears and, uh, and you're very safe, but they do put their paws up against these giant uh, white tundra buggies uh, and you get pictures up close uh, of them. And, it, and it's really a, a neat way uh, to experience them uh, very safely. Now, if you want to take it up to the next level uh, with these polar bears uh, experiences, you can stay for a night on the tundra buggy. And we got to do that as well. But I'll tell you more about that in a moment. So for, for the polar bear, you know that it's 
the largest one of them all. They live 25 to 30 years, uh, mostly along shores in the sea ice in the Arctic. They primarily eat seals. And, uh, you know, they're known to be extremely uh, aquatic, indeed known to be sea mammals, because they can swim up to 100 miles on a stretch. For those Canadians out there, that's like, what is it, 160 uh, kilometers? <laughs> yeah, I think it's 1.6. They're incredibly intelligent, and, and they have to be so, because how else are you going to survive in the most barren and desolate of, and cold uh, landscape than by being extremely cunning and wily? And I'll tell you a few stories about how, how to what degree they are so um, as well. Um, they're hyper-carnivorous. Um, so basically, they eat tons and tons of meat because they can grow up to 1,600 pounds. So the Ursus meridimus, or as the Inuits know them as Nanook, um, they don't actually hibernate. Um, they go into these dens, and then the mums, when they're, when they're feeding their little ones, they rely on their own uh, fat reservoirs, and that's how they stay in that state for such a long period of time. Um, so... My story there goes on that how we got to live on the tundra for an evening um, in, in Churchill, seeing the polar bears. So you sleep on these. Imagine the three train cars and they're on 20 foot tall, massive um, truck tires um, elevating you 20, 20 feet or so into the air. And on the back of the train car or the tundra buggy is a, is a viewing post that you can stand on and see the polar bears. And when the polar bear puts his, you know, front feet up onto uh, the buggy, they're, they're, you know, they, they really feel like they could just swatch you if they stretch just a little bit more. So it's really neat to get so up close and personal. And people ask, well, how do the bears, you know, why do they, are they attracted to these giant tundra buggies? Well, the chef in the morning in the front cart is making bacon and eggs and coffee and breakfast. And so you can imagine the congregation of polar bears that come around these giant buggies, um, sniffing about and seeing what they can find. And they are incredibly beautiful creatures. Now, I think uh, you can do this adventure with Frontiers North. I think that if I recall correctly, that's who we, who we did it with. Um, and it's, it's really something that I that I definitely highly recommend. Now, for the more adventurous ones, when we were up in was it Nunavut or Nanatsivut, um, we did a big trek um, with with a Parks Canada guide, and we saw polar bears while we were landing on the zodiac on our put-in spot. So we did this multi-day trek um, with these guys that had uh, rifles and our Inuit people from the land, um, and uh, it was myself, Bella, myself and these guides and and we did i think i think it was like 60 or 70 kilometers of trekking and really a spectacular uh experience and to be able to see uh the polar bear bears while we were up there but the year after at the exact same time of year which was i believe it was may um there's a polar bear that broke through uh, a hunter's electric fence so when you're um in a place camped out like the tundra to be safe against polar bears and bears. Um, although it's mostly polar bears there. Oh, sorry. Let me just fix my microphone here a second. There we go. Um, you, you put up an electric fence and this fence basically is the idea behind it is that it'll, it'll give them a zap 
and they'll lose interest in going any closer to your tent. So our guides would set up this fence around our tent uh, for the nights when we were camping out uh, on, on this big trek. But the year after, um, there was a group of hunters in a tent sleeping and a polar bear ripped through the tent and uh, the verbatim, the words of the hunter were, the polar bear came into their tent. This was the, the other guy. When, when they were sleeping and my grandchild bitten and pulled out. How horrifying is that? Now, nobody died in this incident. One of the men was dragged out of the tent, but they were able to scare it off uh, with shots and, and whatnot. But uh, what's really neat to know is that they were in the exact same area that we were the year before. So all this to say, you never know, it could have been us uh, at that moment. Also, um, my lady and I would spend a lot of time each evening. We spent two weeks up in Churchill, Manitoba. Many people go for like three days or four days because it's very expensive. But we got all of our hotels sponsored for those two weeks. We got the Frontiers North uh, Tundra Buggy Tours. Uh, we got uh, dog sledding and, and a few a few other things. And uh, so we were there a, a fair chunk of time. And every evening we'd go for a walk. And there's signs everywhere in Churchill saying, uh, be very careful where you're walking because there are lots of polar bears uh, in the area. We only saw one on a walk once, um, but interesting story. I think it was two years after there was a polar bear. No, it was two weeks after. It was two weeks after there was a polar bear in um, in town and as, as it often happens. Um, and he was going towards a woman and a guy saw this that was in his truck. And I think that it was starting to maul. I, I'm not sure if I got the story right. If it had already started to try and maul the lady or if it was going towards her. But a guy pinned the bear with a with his pickup um, and blocking it from from the lady that was getting uh, attacked uh, or aggressed, and I think she had to be uh, airlifted uh, from what I can remember. So she must have been mauled, and it was in town. So so that's how frequent uh, the polar bears are in that area. Then um, then also when the bears when they get problem bears going to the dumps and things like that, as in as happens in these northern communities, um, they they sedate them uh, when they're problem bears. They airlift them far away from the town and hope that they won't come back. Although, unfortunately, they do tend to come back uh, a little bit too often. So when that happens, they have to have to kill, put them, put them down, so kill them. Um, so that is my polar bear uh, story. Nothing too extreme, but really unique experience for those that travel and want to see something completely different going on this tundra buggy and sleeping for the night in particular is what made it extra special and waking up to polar bears at your porthole uh, uh, in your bunk bed is, is really, really unique. If I recall correctly, that two day part or three day part uh, trip was about 5,000 or so. I'm not sure what the prices would be now. Um, we don't pay for that because it's our job to promote and, uh, and create for those places. Even since then, and that was, Hmm. 2013, I think. Oh, so time has passed. I'm not getting younger. Um, and so on to, on to, on to um, black bears. All right. So black bears are the most frequently seen, um, frequently interacting with humans here in Whistler, British Columbia, where I live. 
Um, we have lots of them. Indeed, um, almost every day in the summer, if you're going driving a, a little bit, you know, maybe an hour a day going to pick up the kids or, or going to Calcheck or certain areas around town that you'll probably see a bear um, we, or on the golf course or on the Valley Trail. But we have lots of them. People that have seen our Insta stories have even seen me um, quite close to them as I made my way on the Valley Trail, for example. Um, these guys could be guys or girls could be up to 500, uh, pounds. Um, now they might often look small, but they can flip a boulder of like 140 kilograms just with a paw and just like flick it away. So, um, never underestimate their strength. Uh, they say that North America and Mexico between North America and Mexico, well, Mexico is in North America, by the way, uh, some people don't know that. <laughs> um, but there's about 800,000 of them. Um, I think there's thousands that are killed in the U.S. every year for hunting. Uh, they tend to prefer forests. Most of the interaction between human and bear is the black bear. Um, they Funny story, you know, when Mikio was born, my, little, my eldest boy, that day we saw uh, a mom and, uh, and her cubs up in a tree. So black bears do climb. Um, grizzly bears, on the other hand, they climb at an early age, but they tend to lose that ability as they get much bigger. Um, now, the black bear lives for about 18 years, uh, known as the Ursus Americanus. Um, it can also be uh, brown. And uh, one of the neat ways to differentiate whether it's a black bear or a grizzly is basically by the hump on the back. So uh, grizzlies have a hump right behind their neck, and it's actually a big muscle. And that muscle powers their front legs and, and, and arms, allowing them to, to give that ultimate strength. Um, now, with black bears, uh, take into account they can smell up to 25 kilometers away. So I'll begin my story on that one and how this was one of our most uh, harrowing adventures uh, with a black bear. So my lady, Bella, and I, um, Bella's my nickname, by the way. Her name's Shireen. But uh, I used to call her, actually, somebody asked me the other day to say this on the podcast, how, why I call her Bella. And it's because I used to call her Pulbel, um, which is like beautiful chicken. <laughs> and then Plubel in French means most beautiful. And then that became Bella. So anyways, Bella and I are on the sea kayaking trip and we're in Georgian Bay in Ontario. And uh, we put in our boats there, uh, our sea kayaks. We got 16 feet long. And at the this point in our uh, relationship was, I don't know, probably about three years in or so. And, uh, and we were still getting into being sea kayakers. So we kick off to these islands called Snake Islands, right? Great name. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> and it's known because, yes, you got it, lots of rattlesnakes on the island. And, um, and so we're in our sea kayaks and we're going towards this island. And as we go, it's seven kilometers away, which is Georgian Bay. Certain sections can feel like an ocean. Um, and so we're going and it's one foot chop and two foot chops and the waves are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but they, they, they not, nothing too extreme, about three feet or so. Um, but definitely enough to, to frazzle my lady that was just getting into kayaking. And <laughs> she wasn't very happy with me <laughs> at, that, at that moment for sure. And I see she's listening. So <laughs> she, she knows this story very, very well. <laughs> and, uh, and we're paddling and she's like, angry at me because she's like why why are we paddling at six o'clock in the evening when it's getting dark in 
questionable conditions, very far from shore, with just beginning of our experience in the kayaking world. And that's because that's how we always learned most of our sports that we did. Um, anyways, it got it got pretty choppy. And what I do when in conditions like that is I shadow her boat. So I put my my sea kayak about a meter back and, and a meter over. And I tell her, break left, break right, based on where I see her her kayak is being kicked. So we do that. And sometimes we can do that for hours um, until we get through a very difficult section. That way it helps her that she doesn't have to think about her paddling so much um, because I can instruct it from behind. Uh, and at the same time, I think that constant interaction um, just makes her feel better because indeed she she's a great paddler and and has never been tipped before. So um, by conditions and we've been been a plenty. So anyways, we make it to this island and we get out of our boats and we're on Snake Island, seven kilometers away. We finally made it. Um, and uh, we, we, we start making, we make ourselves a nice fire. We make a dinner. Um, and in the evening, when it comes to time of putting stuff away, I put everything away. And I'm like, Bella, where's your paddle? And each of us had only brought one paddle. And when she got out of her boat, she let the paddle float away because she was so frazzled from the conditions, frazzled is a new word, I think, uh, that she didn't pay attention to it, got on land, was just happy to get on land, and the, the, the waves just took her paddle. So here we are on an island known as Rattlesnake, uh, as Snake Island, because it has lots of rattlesnakes on it, seven kilometers from shore with really rough winds, and we only have one paddle and two sea kayaks. So that means somebody has to stay. <laughs> and so the day after, um, you know, obviously at night we weren't so excited about this, but she was pretty cool because she knew had signal on her phone for one. So she could chat and whatever, maybe get in touch in, in case of any worst case scenario and, um, and get somebody to come from Snug Harbor and pick her up. So it wasn't, you know, not, um, not extraordinarily dangerous in that in that regard minus the stakes of course <laughs> and uh so the day after i paddle back and i'm stoked i put my earphones on i got my music going and i just rip across the seven clicks to, to snake island which would take me about 45 minutes or so and i get to my car i go to a paddle shop outfitter get another paddle come back and around four o'clock or so um i'm back in my sea kayak and i'm kicking to do the seven kilometers back to the island uh, where I left my lady. And um, I'm going, and just as I'm going, there's a woman swimming in a protected area of Snug Harbor uh, with her dog. And she says, you're going out now? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, good luck. And I was like, that sounds ominous. <laughs> Why that tone? <laughs> and, uh, and so as I got get going, and imagine if I'm going to, in a straight line to this island. Now, the wind is coming. Uh, from the side. And so if the wind's coming from the side, it's okay when the wind is light, but eventually if it gets too intense, then I have to be pointing my sea kayak into the wind. So we're going and I've got two foot chop, three foot chop, and it's and it's getting a little bit more questionable, four foot chop, and now I'm getting a little stressed for sure. And I've got an empty sea kayak, which makes it a lot more unstable than when I got a fully loaded boat with all my expedition gear in it. So I start having to point my boat into the wind more and more because the waves are just getting too big that I can't take the waves sideways. And basically I'm pointing away from the island and to open 
Georgian Bay, um, which in order to cross it is about 120 miles. <laughs> so I have to point my kayak like that. And then the waves just kept getting bigger and bigger and six foot chop. And at this point, it's basically bare knuckle survival. I ha do have a dry suit on. The water isn't that cold, but in the conditions of like those, if I tip, then I'd probably have maximum an hour before hypothermia sets in, apart from the fact that it's dark and nobody knows where I am. So, except for my lady that knows I'm somewhere between her, between land and the island. So a trip that on the way out took me 45 minutes by three hours, and I still haven't arrived back from when I said I was leaving. So obviously she's getting a little bit anxious and she sees these white caps all around the island. So I hit a point where it's either I turn down towards the island or I try and cross 120 miles, which unrealistic and pretty much suicide. <laughs> um, so I don't really have a choice. <laughs> um, and so I turn my boat uh, towards the islands because now I would be going with the wind because I, I had to see kayaks straight out into the waves. And that just took me way north or what would have been actually way west of the island. And now to go back to the island, I have to go beeline east, but I'm going to be surfing these waves. And the waves are massive. Um, I Basically what, it, what happens is it takes, lifts up my sea kayak, throws it into the back of the wave that's in. So I surf, I surf that wave really fast, but it go, I go so much faster than the wave that it throws me into the back of the next wave. And the kayak being 17 feet long and like an arrow just dives straight into the back of the wave, lifts up back onto the wave that I was surfing like a cork, corkscrew. So it's surf, corkscrew, back to surf, corkscrew. So I was just fighting to stay up and not to be tipped and and i really really thought you know this is it but but at the same time i think these adrenaline moments are when i feel the most alive because everything cuts down to life death survival and when i'm in that zone and particularly when i don't have to look after anybody else i'm i just i just get into this zone of of feeling and of heightened awareness. So, so I, I almost relish those adrenaline rushes, but on this occasion, I had somebody on an island that I needed to get off the island and, um, and whatnot. So I do this for what this, this section ended up being actually quite fast, but I still, it was about three and a half hours for me to get to that. And when I land, I'm just like, that was the craziest thing I've done. And my girlfriend at the time, she was like, she, she she could conceptualize from seeing, but she, because you're a bit higher than the water being on the island, the waves even looks a little smaller. And uh, and so she's like, okay, yeah, that looks pretty intense. But she didn't truly understand until the day after. So the day after we said, okay, we still got to get off this island, right? And the wind is still pretty bad. So what we're going to do is we're going to do our trick where she goes ahead and I shadow her from my sea kayak and I go left, 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 right, right, right. And sometimes I'm like, no, I meant left, don't shoot. I meant right. And but but that it's, even I make mistakes. But again, usually she corrects and everything's everything's gone well. So we get into the, the water and two foot chop, three foot chop, but we're going with it because we saw that there's another group of of little islands, uh, which would be east of 
again, east of what we we're going because the winds go west to east. And so we were just going to go with the wind, just surf these waves, get to that island and be closer through that island to, to land. And so that's what we did. Um, we, we, we jumped into um, the, our boats and sh- I was shadowing her and left, left and right, right. And, sh- and it's intense. Like I got to say, you know, props to my lady. A lot of friends often that are in harrowing situations with us are like, I ain't going to say anything because she's not complaining. So, <laughs> so here we go. So we did this and, and everything goes, goes okay. And we make it to this island. And here's when I come with the bear story in a moment. So we make it to this island and it's not a very big island. And we notice that it happens to have two black bears on it. But it's still an island that has another little island very close to it that we assume the bear kind of swam, skipped over some rocks type of thing to get to the other island. And so they weren't going to stay close to us. But we went and we watched them for a while and we went our dinner and we we hung everything up into a tree so to be bear safe particularly on an island, we're like, okay, we got to really put this up in a tree. Because as, I don't know if you remember from earlier, I mentioned that uh, they can smell 25 uh, kilometers or miles miles away. In this case, they're like, we're on a 500-meter island, 600-meter <laughs> island. So not very big island. And uh, But everything was cool. We watched them. One of the bears climbed and, uh, and whatnot. So we get back down. Uh, well, I mean, we, after putting the, the food up in the, in a tree, we go into our tent and we're like, okay, it's been a tough day. Let's just hang out, read some books, uh, chat and, and whatnot. And we're in the tent and we hear a growl and we're like, and at the same time, it looked like something pushed up against the, the tent or a shadow. It had nothing. It pushed against it yet. A shadow. And we're like, Oh, geez. Excuse me a second. A little coffee sip. Mm. Thank you. And and we hear this growl and you see kind of like a shadow on the tent because it's not night yet. And we're like, oh, no, one of the bears came. And we're both sitting up looking at each other, horrified. <laughs> and, then, and then we're like, silence. We didn't move. We didn't twitch. We just stared at each other. And because we thought, you know, one of the bears has come over and uh and and we're sh- you know <laughs> we're like oh this is not good and my you know the place that i'm most scared of uh a bear is in my tent because it's when you're at your most vulnerable right you can't see them you don't know how they're acting you you're probably in your boxers <laughs> and um you know and, and in the night in particular you know just upon your chest and well there we go so, so then, you know, then we hear like the wind comes by again and we're like, and then there's a growl and we're like, oh no, it's close. And then we see the claw press up against the wall of the tent and we are shocked. <laughs> it looked, and it, you know, it, you see it like pressing and it looks like it's going to tear it and we're just barely able to turn because it's on my over my shoulder on the left and i'm just we're both looking with our neck strained but too scared to even move our torsos and bodies and we're turning and and it's and it's just and it then it and it it 
pulled off from the tent again. And we're <laughs> looking at each other and we're like, this day could not be worse. <laughs> and, and I think she's like, okay, maybe this relationship is over. <laughs> but but then again, and it and it's scraping its claw. And it's looking like it's going to tear. And I have to do something, right? Because I've got this beautiful lady with me that, that I'm obviously the adventure uh, lead guy on our, on our, on our trap trip here. And I'm like, I got to do something. So I grab at the time, I didn't have a real bear spray can. I had a pepper spray that I think I had brought from Mexico and one of those like self-defense pepper sprays. It was the early days. Forgive me, right? And I had one of those. And so I grabbed that in one hand. I am in my boxers and a t-shirt. Um, probably my Crocs because I've always camped with Crocs at, at the entrance of the tent. And I grab my knife. Now, the knife is, let's say, about six inches, uh, seven inches long, all of it. And that includes the four-inch handle. <laughs> so it's a very sad, sad knife, I must say. But I got one in one hand, the little spray in the other, and I'm like, I jump out, ready to scream, spray, and prick because what else would that knife do uh the bear to get him away and i jump out like more scared than i've ever been i think and i and the moment i jump out a giant sigh of relief comes out of me at the same time when i see that it was a branch that was being hit by the wind uh which was getting quite windy because remember the waves and the wind and all that and it was pushing up against our tent and scratching and going off and on. So just gives you an idea of the things you can imagine in your tent when you are absolutely no visibility of what's going on outside, particularly having seen uh, the bear out there. So that's just one of our black bear stories. Um, another one is we that where the bear well anyways i i go too quickly <laughs> but another one we've just uh gone out for a paddle on maline lake we've got uh our little two i'd say he was about one and a half at the time uh mikio on the dock with us at maline lake and at the end of the dock we are cooking up a storm because it's evening and sunset and we've been paddling and i think we're making steak um on on a little uh, grill that we have and um and then uh, it's silent. And that lake, uh, you're not allowed motors except for a particular tour boat that goes on there. And in the dark, um, suddenly I turn off the dock and there's this, this guy in a, in, a, in a canoe coming up like absolute silence gliding through the water. And he's about a meter and a half from the dock. And he says, hey, man. Uh, and I say, hey, hey, what's up? I didn't even see you coming up. He says, hey. Um, I'd, I'd recommend making a little noise. Um, there's a big black bear at the beginning of the dock and I turn around, um, Belle and I both turn around and we've got Mika with us at the end of the dock and we see uh, this big black bear just staring at us. And so situations like that, um, I don't get very concerned and I just make some noise, clap my hands, say bear, go away. And, and the bear usually meanders off. 
but I, we had been so silent and the night was so beautiful and we were just cooking that we hadn't noticed that he was cutting off our exit uh, from the dock and off, off the bear went. And uh, there you go. That's my black bear stories. I hope you guys have been uh, enjoying this evening's uh, monologue. Uh, thank you, Gustavo and Wang Su and Shireen for, for being live uh, on, on here. Um, and, uh, and my next story is actually about a grizzly bear. So uh, first off, I'll, I'll kick, kick it off a bit by telling you a little bit about them. Um, now, the grizzly bears, they have a hump on their back. Like I mentioned, it's a huge muscle that powers their front, uh, their front legs. Their claws uh, are a lot longer and curve in uh, as well. So you can very easily tell um, when it's a, a bear print uh, in, in the ground. Um, they're a lot more aggressive than black bears. A black bear, you know, with a little shooing, a little noise, unless they're with cubs or surprised and, and they fear for themselves that they're cornered or whatnot, then there's really no concern. You know, they'll, they'll go away. Um, but uh, grizzly bears, you know, another thing about bears in general, they don't actually hibernate. So that's a misconception. Um, they enter a state of what's called torpor. And um, basically if they're in their den and you were to <laughs> nudge them or make a loud enough noise or, fall through the snow and bump them on, in their den, whatever it may be like that, uh, they would easily, easily wake up. And this is one of the things that helps, I think, their muscles not atrophy, from what I understand. Um, even when they're sleeping, they absorb their urine and recycle it into protein. And I think that preserves their their muscle mass. Um, they can be like up to eight feet tall and 800 pounds. Um, they're a lot more aggressive. So uh, the saying goes, if you see, a, if a, if you're, getting attacked by a black bear, um, then try not to move and, and scream loudly if he starts to run to you. And then, uh, and then usually that should work to keep them, like it'll be a fake charge. But if he was to start attacking you, then fight back with <laughs> everything you've got. Um, and uh, even if you've got a small little knife <laughs> and a little uh, spray, but, um, but fight back with everything you've got. Now with a grizzly bear, um, the recommendation is uh, just play dead because once they see you're just lifeless or not moving, that's when they stop feeling that you're a threat. And uh, whereas uh, the black bear will just kind of keep keep at it until until you bump them in the nose or whatever it may be that they go off. Uh, but take into account that uh, a grizzly's claw is up to four inches in length. So that's like, <laughs> that's the size of my finger. And that's just their claw. So, so you know... <sighs> Granted, I even dramatize all of this, but these things, while in while bad encounters and confrontations between bears and humans, uh, is very dramatic stories that that we've heard, obviously, and uh, in the news, the guy that was eaten by bears that lived with them and things like that, um, and all the stories I'm telling you, of course, um, the frequency of bear attacks and of uh, maulings is actually quite low so it's particularly deaths <laughs> so you don't usually die <laughs> if you want to give it a go um but uh, just don't talk to the people that had the polar bear <laughs> uh rip through their tent and uh pull them out most of the grizzlies where are they they are in canada and um between alberta yukon bc northwest territories we've got about fifty thousand of them in the contiguous usa 
So that's the lower 48 states. Uh, I believe there's only like 1,200, uh, apparently. So so grizzlies are protected in the states. Uh, black bears are not. And um, and we in Canada, uh, well, we, I don't, but other people do hunt them in, in the states that they're protected. Um, they can eat like 90 pounds of food a day. For my Americano friends, that's like 360 quarter pounders a day. Expensive diet, I tell you. Um, they're highly, highly uh, intelligent um, with, uh, with extremely ex- uh, excellent memory. So where they've been and, and of things that happen, I guess. I'm not sure how they gauge that, but I guess the bear comes back to the same spots uh, very frequently. Uh, they're actually omnivores. So that means they eat... Uh, meats, uh, but at the same time, nuts, fruits, leaves, uh, roots, insects, things like that, right? Um, And they have a better smell than a hound dog. So one of the things I do when I'm camping is um, we tend to put our uh, food cache, uh, whether it be up in a tree uh, or away from us, but I do then tend to put it uh, what would be downwind from us. So that way, if the, the bear would come on to the food cache before he would come on to our tent, which particularly now with kids and everything, like we always have scents in our tent. We used to be religious about nothing scent wise being in, but when you have babies with diapers and toddlers that hide chocolates in their jackets, well, <laughs> you do the best you can. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, what was it? There's 24 people killed in North America between 2000 and 2015. So that's like 1.5 or 1.6 a year only um, by, by uh, ki- deaths, killed by bears. So, so, but that being said, there are encounters. And let me tell you about this other one. So this is the dramatic story. And I like, sorry, going into these weird accents. Hope you don't mind. But uh, this is the dramatic story of when I met my lady. So I'm in Yoho National Park and I'm going up this winding gravel trail and going up to Berg Lake. And it's a, it's about a, a 22 kilometer hike up to the lake. And I'm going solo and meandering and, and whatnot. And I think I had my AirPods on earlier and I took them off because, because you know, <laughs> when uh, you don't uh, hear the grizzly, <laughs> then it's not a great uh, thing that you stumble upon them. And, and I hear like someone in distress and it's obviously it sounds like, sounds like it's a girl. And, and I run up this trail, you know, <laughs> thinking, oh, I've got to save this, uh, whoever it may be. And I find a girl like looking petrified, staring at this giant grizzly that's ready to like charge her. No, actually, I'm just kidding. That's not how I met my wife. I met her at the W Hotel Bar in Montreal. But this story <laughs> is one that I love to tell because people are so accustomed to knowing that we spend a lot of time uh, in the outdoors and in tents and um, more so than often with the roof over our heads. And, and so they would actually expect that that would be the true story of how I met my wife. But no, indeed, I met her at the W Hotel Bar uh, in Montreal. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's all about bears today. Um, those are probably the ones that stick out most in my mind of things that have happened uh, to us. Although there is a wolf story. Uh, and this one was was no i think that i have to add it in here because it was very 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 scary so bell and i had uh we were driving uh high up in northern quebec 
And in the old days, before we had an airstream, for example, and hard walls to protect us, um, we actually lived for a few years out of our SUV. And the way we would do it is uh, keep all our gear in the, in the SUV in a little red trailer that we had and then pitch the tent, uh, whether it be at campgrounds um, or also in gravel pits, because a lot of the north, way north Canadian roads that we love to take where there isn't anybody, um, there actually isn't anywhere to pull off except uh, a gravel pit and being nobody around. Uh, and when it's late at night and you got to get some rest, well, it will do. Um, so we're up in, I think, are we in northern Quebec or Labrador? I'll have to ask uh, my lady. But uh, we're crossing on this highway in the middle of absolutely nowhere, obviously, and um, hundreds of kilometers from the next hu- human being. And we pull into this gravel pit. And <laughs> people on on Instagram often joke, they're like, for the last 10 years, in all your stories, you guys are always, always eating like steak and fries. And yes, for many years, we liked to grill steaks and make some potatoes and my wife makes the best in the world she mixes like the oil and butter and stuff like that and um and we make it on a fire and uh, with montreal steak spice it's just so good so here we are we're at, we've got out of the back of the suv and uh make a big fire and in canada you know you can <laughs> make in many places particularly the, the places we like to frequent you can make a nice fire uh anytime um with no concerns about it and um and and, uh, and so we got this fire going. We had a wonderful dinner. Um, we we put everything away. I think we saw a tinge of northern lights that night. And um, and we've pitched the tent about fifty meters away from the car because obviously the car's full of food and where we had cooked. And we it's pitch black outside. Uh, we go into the tent and we are knocked out. We are exhausted, um, and we are sleeping into a very quick and deep sleep. And about an hour later, we hear both of us instantly shoot up in our uh, on our sleeping bags and and sit on our mattresses with the only time in my life that I have truly felt the hairs on the back of my neck raise up. Wolves were howling within feet from our tent. And I don't mean like one wolf. I don't mean like two. I mean like three, four, five, and they were just oh, 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 and we were petrified. So we we're just sitting there, staring at each other in the middle of nowhere in a gravel pit in northern Quebec or Labrador. It's probably border border two, um, and I'm pretty sure it was northern Quebec, yeah, because we were near that near some of the hydro dams. And um, and our, we're just super scared of what's going on. Um, and we're just looking at each other. And I've never felt uh, the hairs, like never, so just absolutely scared. And they howled for about, I'd say, five minutes. And you could hear them walking and howling and sniffing around our tent. And we just didn't move. We didn't zip open the tent. We did nothing. We were statues and we just looked at each other and looked at each other and uh, they, they left minutes later they had left but um, but again I think it was a week later that we and I'll have to google this one and I'll tell you on the next episode um, there was a wolf that had actually grabbed the the leg of a kid through his tent 
in Ontario. I think it was an Algonquin. And that story was just a few days or a week after we had our wolf wolf story. And there's a lot of hunters in northern Quebec. So when you see these wolves on their ATVs or or the back of their trucks that the that they've hunted, the 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 beasts are behemoths. They're like they're not like dogs. You know, I've seen do- these giant, giant, shaggy, shaggy wolves. And and some I was quite surprised at how big uh, some of them can get. So so there is our three bear stories and our one wolf story. Well, we have more bear stories, but that's enough for tonight's episode um, of how we've experienced them in the wild. But uh, a few, I'll leave you with a few quick tips that we like to do, especially, you know, living in Whistler, we see them all the time and, and I'm on trails all the time where I see them. And um, when I, when I know there's a bear in an area and I'm hiking alone, uh, I try not to put my earphones on anymore and instead just put a little speaker. And yes, I might become that annoying guy with his speaker for a while, but it's much better than, than the clanking of a, of a bear bell. Um, and usually I'm putting a speaker because I'm in an area where there is nobody else. And that's why, because it's usually what, in areas that there's more frequented people, uh, the bears tend to stay away because they really don't like noise. So if they hear you in advance coming, then they, they tend to scramble off and you never even, even see them. Um, and then obviously always carry a bear spray and it's, it does nothing for you if you have the can of bear spray in your backpack. So it's good to have it on a carabiner clipped to your side, to your waist, or right to, to the front of your, uh, the clips on the front of your chest, uh, because then you could have it very easily accessible because take into account that a bear spray only works for a few meters in front of you. So it's kind of like one of those, uh, what is it? Ben-Hur or not Ben-Hur, uh, the movie where the guy is uh, with Mel Gibson, where he's like, hold, hold. So you got to, if a bear's running towards you, you've got to to hold until it's about uh, six meters away from you. And then you spray there. Um, because if you spray too soon, they actually get attracted to the smell and the spray doesn't go that far. So, so I've practiced with them before. Um, also make sure to spray downwind if obviously there's <laughs> you have the choice of being able to do that because if you are spraying um uh, pointing it upwind then you get a bit of crazy horrible pepper spray right into your face and um i can tell you a story about my wife getting that <laughs> and that wasn't so nice so so have your base bear spray uh have some some music if you're alone um and best of all of course if you can have some friends uh, because bears in particular when they see numbers uh they they don't they, they don't like that. They think, oh, they're more powerful. And there's one other tip that um, an Inuit guide once told me, and that's basically just to throw rocks at them. So I've done that before as well. Um, and I've actually, with this Inuit guide, uh, when we were up in the, on, on a trip and there was a bear, a black bear around our camp, and this is a different story, and he shot live rounds around the feet of the bear, and then he shot bear bangs and bear whistles and everything, and the bear uh, didn't go away. So in the end, he took up, took some rocks and threw them at the bear and hit the shoulder of the bear. And that's when the bear uh, went away. So just a few little tips on uh, you can always throw something at it. If, if it's a worst case scenario, make some noise, um, make sure they're where, where you are, make sure you have an exit path and that they do as well. And, uh, and you should be just fine. So thanks again for joining me. That's the end of our episode, December 3rd, 2021. Uh, really appreciate everyone that's been uh, listening and, and everyone that's uh, listening to the episodes afterwards. And uh, 
we will see you soon once again. We being the royal we. <laughs> um, but thanks for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, let's get some people calling in on the next episode. I've got some uh, folks lined up for some interviews and uh, excited to, to interview them uh, here on Colin. Talk to you next time. I'm Roberto, Expeditioner, out.